Hi everyone, welcome to another Daily Objective. Today it's a solo episode, none of my co-hosts are around today. So I'm going to do a film recommendation. And it's not a recommendation in the way that you probably haven't watched the film and you need to watch it because it's a film most people have actually watched. But it's a recommendation to watch it under a different prism. And the film I'm talking about is the film La La Land, which was released uh, in 2016 and it won many awards. So this film in a way can fall victim to how good it is. So you watch it in the first time and you are overwhelmed, let's say, by the music or by the very beautiful picture. But I want to point out how good this film is when it comes to its ideas and its view of life and let's say its philosophical premises which is not a surprise as it's a film by Damien Chazelle and he was the he his previous film was Whiplash which is a film that object many objectivists really liked it was the film about this very uh, strict teacher and how discipline is really important for succeeding in life and I remember listening to Leonard Peikoff in one of his podcasts saying he went to watch Witch Plus five times or six times in the cinema because he couldn't believe that it could be that good. He couldn't believe that such a film was actually made and he had to go and check it every time to see if it was that good or if it was his idea that it was that good. And it was actually a very good film. So what about La La Land? So the usual take from the critics on the film is this is a very good film, but it shows the difference between, in a way, what we'd say in objectives, the moral and the practical. That it shows how you can't, it's difficult to succeed in love and in career, and you have to sacrifice the one or the other. But I want to claim that, in a way, it's the exact opposite. It's a film about how you can integrate your values, and this is, this is where my focus is. Now, there will be some spoilers, but I mean, probably most people understand it's a film with Ryan Gosling and uh, Emma Watson. So it's quite obvious, sorry, Emma Stone. So it's quite obvious that there's a romance uh, developing between the two of them. So hopefully that's not a spoiler. But when, the, when I will reach the moment where there's a big spoiler, let's say at the end of the film, I'll let you know. So maybe even you can even watch it, even if you haven't watched the film, there's not going to be any major... Spoiler. So, what happens in the film? When we're first introduced to Mia, which is Emma Stone, and Sebastian, Ryan Gosling, they are, from the beginning of the film, very, it's very obvious that they live for their passions. They're very passionate about their values. She wants to be an actress, but she's not there yet. And he wants to make traditional, let's say, jazz great again. He wants to show people that jazz is not dead. So when we first see them, she's in her car and she's rehearsing and he's in his car and he's constantly uh, rewind, rewinding a tape because he wants to get a note from the song he's, he's listening. But they both have a problem. And the problem is that it's as if the world around them does not appreciate their values and their struggle. And this could be either a world being hostile for example, when Mia goes to auditions, she sees these blank faces, these people who couldn't care less. Uh, they're playing with their phones, they're eating a sandwich, they're, she's being interrupted. So 
she takes this very, very seriously, but it's as if other people are not taking it seriously. And for Sebastian, this is people disregarding the value of jazz. So his favorite jazz club has now become a, a tacos and samba place. So something like a fast food uh, kind of easygoing restaurant. And he's obsessed with that. He's having his cafe opposite and he's staring at it. And he, he's almost like a stalker, as his sister tells him. And he works in a, in a restaurant where the manager is the guy who has the role of the teacher in Whiplash. And although he plays for three minutes, he's brilliant. And Sebastian also there cannot be appreciated. So he has to play silly uh, songs, simple songs. By the way, you could there's a way you could say La La Land is a bit of a Christmas film because the first scene takes place during Christmas. So he wants to play his jazz, but he's, the manager tells him, no, you'll, you'll play the tunes I'm telling you to play. And the faces around him are black. And even his face is unimpressed when he's, when, he's playing, uh, when he's playing his jazz. And this is when he meets her. So at some point, he can't anymore play this silly, what he considers silly songs. And he transitions to one of his songs. And his face immediately changes. And now he's really into it. And Mia, who was in a party where it wasn't anything interesting and it wasn't what she expected. So she listens to the music, she enters the club. And this reminds us the scene of the Fountainhead where Dominic meets Rourke. So they see each other from far away. And within a few seconds, she's really drawn to him because she sees him playing the piano and he's so passionate about it. It's as if the light only falls to him. And they have this moment where it's almost as if it's only the two of them because they manage to see manage to see what is valuable to him. And quite often, either in the selfish lovers or on uh, the discussion we had about love with Ellen Kenner, it's this issue of visibility. That part of a romantic relationship or a romantic love being successful is someone seeing in you the values that you hold. And this is what happens with Mia and Sebastian on that first scene at the club. But immediately Sebastian is fired because, again, he goes out of the playlist and his boss is not impressed with his passion for jazz. So he's really angry and he passes through here and he doesn't see her. So nothing happens there. So the world around them, as I said, does not share their values. But also people who do care about them, they consider them as idealists. So again, we have this supposed dichotomy between the practical and the idea. So the friends of uh, the friends of me are telling her, "Look, uh, let's go to a party. You can meet people there by meeting people you can you can raise in the profession." And Sebastian's sister is trying to tell him, "Look, you live like a hermit. You live in the past. You are poor. You need to do something with your life." And she gives him the telephone number of a girl. And Sebastian's first question is, "Is she into jazz?" And his sister says, no. And they're like, what are we going to talk about then? And then his sister says, oh, you know, you need to stop being too romantic. And then Sebastian says one of the most beautiful lines in the film. He says, why do you say the word romantic as if it's a bad thing or something like that? So again, we see the protagonist being true idealists. But idealists, not in the sense of the, of the word that 
they fly in the sky and they are detached from this world. But in the fact that they're really, really pursuing their values, they really appreciate the things that they like in life. And we're going to see how this is going to bring them uh, together. So then they meet again in a, in a party and Sebastian is playing in a silly group, like silly party music, and Mia is there. And there's something, they, they, they have this back and forth where he tells her, uh, I'm a serious musician. And she's laughing it off. But actually, there's something there that these two people take themselves seriously. So Sebastian really believes that he's a serious musician, although he plays silly music in a party. And I think she likes that. So he clearly likes her. So next day he goes and meet, or at some point he goes and meet her where she works. She works in a cafe in a Hollywood studio. And that's when the real bonding starts. And the way their bonding happens is they talk to each other about their dreams. So she tells him that she wants to be an actress, but all her auditions are failing. And he's the first one who says, you know what? It's not about, for, forget these people. You should do your own thing. You should write your own script and you should, play, you should play that script. So you don't rely on people who don't understand, on people who don't appreciate what you appreciate. And then he listens to her story about how she got into, into, into acting. And then he talks to her about his passion for jazz. And something very interesting happened. So Mia couldn't care less about jazz. She, he, she tells him, look, let's, let's make it clear. I don't care about jazz. It sounds like elevator music to me. But he's taking her to a jazz club and he's explaining why jazz is brilliant. And when he speaks about it, he's so passionate that in a way, although Mia does not really appreciate jazz, she appreciates his passion about jazz. So she says, she thinks, here's a guy who is after something. Here's a guy who is not like these simple, shallow, boring people I hang out with. And that's, that's a great, I think, part of, uh, that's a great part of, of, the, of the film. So what happens, what happens, what happens then? So she has a boring boyfriend. Uh, in the some scenes after that, it's clear that they, she's actually attracted to Sebastian. So they end, they end uh, together. And when they start dating, it's when she really starts pursuing her dream. So she starts writing a script and Sebastian starts thinking what he's going to do because, again, his dream is to open a club where they can play traditional jazz. And here's another important point in the film. So quite often, we see relationships being portrayed as dream killers, so to speak. So you're with someone and you settle down and you have all these dreams, but then inside the relationship, basically it's, it's, these dreams are not there anymore. They evaporate. So we see films where people are, let's say, dream killers. But in this film, Mia and Sebastian are, let's say, dream enhancers. So each one enhances the dreams of the other. So when they're together, it's this constant reminder of who they are. So again, the issue of visibility, you see your values to the other person and the other person sees their values in you and this is makes a mutually enhancing upward spiral. And what happens then is that they meet 
one of Sebastian's old, not friends, but someone from his circle, Keith. And Keith is the successful musician who is what Sebastian does not want to be. So Keith is playing some kind of modern jazz, which uh, progressive jazz, so to speak. And, and Sebastian thinks this is a sell-off. But he needs the money. Keith tells him, come on board and we're going to go on tour. And we see Sebastian joining this band. And this is a bit like the moment in the Fountainheads where Howard Rourke is, let's say, it's the equivalent, some would say, of Rourke building the bank building that he hated. But that's the problem is not that Sebastian is a sellout for playing progressive jazz. And by the way, when he's playing, most of the time we see again, he has this blank face. He doesn't really enjoy it. He feels at some point that this is a betrayal. But this could be fine if he said, look, I'm going to do this for a while, and but I'm going to stick to my values. And when I get the money, because he's getting paid a lot of money for that, I'm going to open my jazz club. But actually what happens is he gets carried away by the success of the group. And then he also becomes a bit more distant because he's quite, he's often away. So he doesn't see his girlfriend anymore. And here lies a big misunderstanding in the film. A lot of people would say that they become distant because he's working a lot. But this is not the case. They become distant because Mia is noticing that Sebastian has betrayed his values, has betrayed his dream. So they have this discussion in their room under this very dark color, which again, this film is so great picture-wise. It's almost, you see the colors and you understand what happens in the psyche of the heroes. So they have this discussion and she's telling him, do you really like your job? And he says, no, I don't like it, but I'm successful and other people like it. I'm doing something that other people like. So to put it in, let's say, objectivist terminology, Sebastian acknowledges that he's now a second-hander and he's not happy. And also Mia is disappointed. Again, not disappointed by the fact that he's quite often absent, but disappointed by the fact that he has betrayed his dream. And one of the most beautiful back and forth in the film happens in that scene. So she tells him, people, so, so he says, look, I'm not going to open this stupid uh, traditional jazz club I wanted because no one is going to show up. And she tells him, quote, people will want to go to it because you're passionate about it. And people love what other people are passionate about. You remind people of what they forgot. So I found this very, this line very Randian. So both in the Fountainheads, in the trial scene, but also in Atlas Rugged, I think in the scene of Reardon's trial, but also in, in Gold's speech, there's this element that there's an appeal to what is best inside people. And Rand quite often puts it in, in something like, everyone has sensed a moment of brilliance in their life. Some, they felt this exaltation. They had the moment, either with a loved one or with something they were passionate about, but very quickly they forget it and they betray it. And when they see a Reardon or a Rourke, that's when they remember it. And this is the essence of that scene. So anyway, they, they have a fight and then Mia manages to make her dream reality in 
no, she thinks she starts making her dream a reality by managing to have a performance, an acting, let's say, one-woman play. But because of his job, he can't make it on time. And apparently, her show is not a success. Very few people show up. So she leaves town and she says, I give up. I, uh, I'm not, uh, not going to succeed. So if the film stops then, it's a bit like when if the founder head would finish in the middle, where you'd say, Keating is a success. You have to be a pragmatist. You have to compromise. See, Sebastian compromised, and now he's rich and successful, whereas Mia did not also in not compromise, but gave up because chasing ideals is impossible. But the film does not end there. So then we see that someone was in that very small audience of Mia's performance. So they want her for a casting, for a, for a role in a film. So Sebastian goes and finds her, which is one, again, a very beautiful scene. The way he remembers something she told him months, if not years ago, and that's how he goes and finds her in her hometown. And again, he's the one to remind her that you need to chase your dreams. Don't care what people say. Make sure that you do what you want and make sure that it's good. So he's this alarm bell in her, in her mind. So he persuades her and that's when success knocks on their door, on, on actually on her door. And this is also the last time that we see them in the film being a couple. So as they're waiting outside of the casting, outside of the, they, they wait the results of her, of her audition, she asks him, where are we? And he says, look, if you get this job, you have to give it all. You have to, this job, this film will be shot in Paris. You have to go there and I have to, to chase my own dream. Then we have a flash, not a flashback, a flash forward five years later. And this is the time where there's a big spoiler. So if you, if you haven't watched the film, maybe this is a good time to pause, watch the film and come back later. So when she returns, she's with someone. So she's now very successful. So she's going to the cafe where she used to work. And when she returns home, we see that she's with someone else. So indeed, apparently she went to Paris alone and she met someone else. And now she has a happy family. And then one night she goes out with her husband and they bump into a bar, which turns out it's the bar that was Sebastian's big dream. So he didn't have his bar when he wanted to and with the, with the, with the name that he wanted, but he has a bar where he could play whenever he wanted jazz and they could play whatever they want. And it's very, very successful. And then we have a scene which is so beautiful that I won't comment on it because there's no way I can shed any light which is going to be better than it is. We have this beautiful what-if flashback. And then we have the final moment with the, where they stare at each other, which in my view, it's one of the best Hollywood endings. I would even compare it to Casablanca. It's that good. And here's the usual takeaway again at this point. The takeaway is, you see, it's, it was either the practical or the moral. They would either be successful or they would, their relationship would, uh, 
uh, would survive. It's, it couldn't be both. Maybe in an ideal world it could be. That's why uh, Mia is having a flashback. But reality is what it is. What can you do? You have to do sacrifices. And that's why, for example, in a review, I think, in The Guardian, but I'm not sure, someone said this is a very, quote, neoliberal film, that this is a, about you know, selfish individualism and not sacrificing for your partner. But my question is this, what would have happened in one of, if one of the two had actually, sac quote, sacrificed their dream to be with each other? Now, remember, when he was successful, she didn't like the fact, not that he was successful, but he gave up his dreams. And he was very, very pissed off with her when she gave up her dream. So I would say that if these people were not such passionate value pursuers, they wouldn't be in love with each other. And also, the, th the scene I had in mind is, remember in The Fountainhead, that scene where Dominic visits Rourke in, the in, in that small town. And she tells him, let's give up everything. Let's stay in this small town. I'm going to be a housewife. You're going to do some manual labor. Forget your ideals. I'll forget my ideals. And that's how we're going to live. And Rourke is telling her, I'm not going to do that because, I'm paraphrasing here, because then you're not going to like me. I'm not going to like myself and I'm not going to like you. So that's the brilliant element in La La Land, that their relationship is so tied to their values. And to those who say, yeah, but it's not a happy end. Yeah, it's not a happy end, romance-wise. But I don't know. I don't think she's really in love with her husband. I mean, she loves him. He's, they have a very beautiful family. But it's clear to me that the, the attraction and, and the energy that she has with, Ryan, with uh, Sebastian is unique. And the same with Sebastian. From what we can say, he's alone. So, yeah, things could have been different, but what matters is that, A, they had this experience, B, that their feelings are still there. Like this, again, this smile at the end is benevolent universe premise at its best, as, you know, as a, an objectivist would say. And who knows what's going what's gonna to happen. But again, this is such a better outcome than both of them having given up on the dreams and ending up together but ending up together by being the cells a shadow of what they could have been so i don't i don't think that actually this film says that you should sacrifice your ideals for love or you have to give up one or the other i think the message is it's just it's exactly these ideas and this quote romanticism or idealism that they both have that bring them with each other. So, yeah, I, I know many people who said that they left the cinema with tears. I get it, but I think the ending is not a, is not a sad end because we see that actually success is possible. And also we see that genuine love and passion are tied to to this value pursuing and having high ideals. Anyway, I had pages of notes about, uh, about the film. I'm sure I've forgotten many important parts and many important scenes, but anyway, again, it's, it's a film that it makes better sense after you watch it the first time. So you can watch it once, you're captured by how good a film it is, 
but then you need to watch it again to get the ideas. It's a bit the, in a way, the mirror image of Joker. Joker is such a great film cinematically that you can oversee and you can omit how horrible its philosophical premises are. Whereas with La La Land, again, it's so good cinematically and, uh, and so good in terms of how good Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling is that it's very easy to miss how good the, the philosophical message is. Anyway, so that was my film recommendation. We are in most countries in lockdown. I'm in Athens at the moment. I have to text the government to be allowed to take a walk and I have to wear a mask to even take a walk. So probably most of us have more time to watch films. So my recommendation is La La Land. Now, in 35 minutes, Ayn Rand Center UK on their YouTube channel uh, are going to have a discussion with James Valiant on Leonard Peikoff's seminal essay, Facts and Values. So this is an essay that played a very important role in the development of the objectivist movement and clarifying some things uh, in the philosophy about the so-called is-ought gap, whether morality and facts are related. So again, in some way, we could say that you could see a shadow of that in the film, this idea that the moral and the practical are supposedly uh, divided, whereas clearly they're not. So I would encourage people to check it out. I would definitely encourage people to become members of Ayn Rand Center UK. There's way more stuff happening that the members have access to. And that's it for today. Tomorrow, back with, I think, Raka and Jonathan. I'm back on Friday. Till then, thank you very much. and. Good premises. Bye.